How many of you guys know of something that um, is used for a specific design? We're going to be talking about design and God's design today. So, so think of something that has a design. Okay, maybe, um, have you guys ever seen those workout videos where people use the workout equipment for the completely wrong thing? There's a guy like, uh, you know, like swinging around the room from the, from the, like the back cable machine. Um, I love the guy that just like sits there and eats his pizza while he's on the leg machine. <laughs> those are good. What, who gets pizza at the gym? I don't get that. Anyway, whatever. Um, then, then there's, there's how many, all right, now listen, this is a time for, for us to be honest. Okay. I need you to raise your hand if you've ever used a pair of pliers as a hammer. That's what I'm talking about. How, who's ever used a, a screwdriver as a hammer? Was it designed to be a hammer? No, not at all, but sometimes we do what we have to do. What about this one? This is the mother of all things that we use for any and every possible way. Duct tape. Who said it? Who said, that, that's what I'm talking about. Duct tape. Duct tape gets used in every conceivable way besides what it was actually invented for. And some of you may know what was actually invented for, and you're like, ugh, crazy. Duct. Like, air duct. It's not duct, quack, quack. It's duct. Isn't that crazy? There's so many different things. One of the things that I love, when I was in high school, I got to go on a trip. And I got to go on a mission trip to a place called Lima, Peru. Lima, Peru is in South America, and it is a beautiful city in a beautiful country. And I went as a, as a like 16, 15, 16-year-old 16 on this mission trip to Lima, Peru, and I saw so many things there that blew my mind. But one of the things that just absolutely captivated me, one of the things that just, just amazed me, you know what it was? It's the traffic. Specifically, I saw my first roundabout. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these, like the big monster roundabouts? Like this thing has six lanes. Now this photo was taken during a, um, like a, like a celebration in the country and there's not traffic on the street. But if you go right now to Google Maps, you can zoom in. Don't do this because, you know, it's church. You need to not be on Google Maps. But if you happen to get on your phone and go to Google Maps, you could zoom in to the city and you could see this roundabout. And you would see six lanes of traffic. It's nuts. Here's some facts about roundabouts that you may not know. Did you know that roundabouts promote less speeding? and calmer traffic? Eh? Did you know that they often use less space? They keep cars from idling, and they don't require electricity to operate? Kind of fascinating. Did you know that their design reduces serious injuries and fatalities by preventing T-bones and head-on crashes? That's kind of neat. Now, how many of you guys have been to the roundabout over at the Loop? I think that's the closest one for us. I think they're a little foreign for, for the American driver. And, and we're starting to see them more uh, here and there. But I think the average American driver, they drive us crazy. You want to know why? Because we don't understand the design. We don't get it. It's foreign to us. Roundabouts actually can reduce um, the, the fatalities by 75%. So think about all the major intersections in our cities. And if we just change those to roundabouts, how much easier that would be. Isn't that cool? Now, I would say most of us, when we go to one of those here in the States... It's super, super frustrating. You know why? Because we don't get it. We don't understand it. They're designed for a specific purpose. And when they're used well, they can be an enormous help to traffic. But for us, they're foreign. And we don't understand the design. And we've never really studied them. And most of us didn't have to take a quiz on roundabouts in our driver's ed class, did we? No. And, and they're frustrating. But they have a very, very specific design. We're going to talk today about God's design for us. And God has a very, very specific design for our life. And, and we're going to dig in today and let you see a little bit more what that looks like. 
So Jesus in his teaching, you know, as you look at the Gospels, you know, if you're new in the faith or you're searching through the faith, I would recommend you start reading in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because there you're going to discover the teachings of Jesus. And we as believers, as Christians, need to be extremely familiar with what Jesus taught because it's so valuable. He has so many things there that are so important for our life in relation to God's design. But as Jesus was leaving this earth, he left and he gave us what we call a commission, or he gave us a charge. And if you were here with us back in the spring, we looked at this sermon really in depth. Uh, this passage of scripture it was the last thing that he said before he ascended back into heaven. And you know, we, tub- we, we dubbed that the famous last words, if you guys will remember that series. And these are his famous last words. Let's read them here together on the screen. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does it mean to make a disciple? How do you become a disciple? How do you know when you are a disciple? So we're going to walk through that over these next six weeks, looking at God's design for us as human beings. You know, one of the things when you think about making a disciple, you kind of have to ask yourself, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church? Now, we're not a large church. You can see here today, we're a a good-sized family church. But we have a mission just in our community, just in the city of Orlando. Now, in the city of Orlando, we have about 2.7 million people. Now, this was a a research. Go flip on to the next slide there, Calvin. um, From Barna Research Group in 2017. Go ahead and go to the next slide. All right, Oh, went out on us there. Okay, so I'll go ahead and tell you. In Barna Research Group in 2017, we had, there we go, uh, they did a, a survey, and they had different data points where they looked at post-Christian cities in America. And our city, Orlando, you would think Orlando being in the south, it's kind of, you know, a Christian city maybe, but it sat as the number 25th post-Christian city. Look at that. We are there even with San Diego and Las Vegas. You think of Las Vegas as Sin City, in Orlando, we sit there at 44%, number 25 from this research, as being a post-Christian city, which means we have a lot of work to do, don't we? We have a lot of work to do in our city. As a city of 2.7 million people, let's just do a little math here. So if we had 10,000 people in the city of Orlando that says, I'm going to make it my goal to reach five people, to reach five people in the next year, what would we have? 50,000 followers of Jesus Christ, which would still mean a small, small percentage of that 2.7 million people. That's, that's, you could see we have a huge job ahead of us. You know, the Bible says God used uneducated common men to reach the world. If you look at his disciples, his disciples were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were just common Joes and Janes like you and I. But he had 12 men who were sold out and dedicated, and they changed the world. The people in this room, if they're sold out and dedicated, we can change our city. We can change our community. 
You know, God placed each of us at this moment, at this place, for a unique purpose, to be his outpost. The Acts 1-8 version of Jesus' final words has Jesus telling his followers that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You think about it like us. We're going to be witnesses to Meadowoods, South Chase, Hunter's Creek, Lake Nona, then to Orlando, then to Florida, then to the ends of the earth. That is our job. We have to see ourselves as outpost of the kingdom of God. Your house in your community needs to be viewed to your neighbors around you as an outpost of the kingdom of God. Your desk students at school, though your lunch table at school needs to be seen as an outpost of the kingdom of God. Your cubicle at work needs to be that outpost where people can see that there is something different about you. We have to be gospel outposts wherever we are to reach this world, to, to accomplish this great commission that God gave to us. So the question is, how are we going to do that? And I think a lot of times we go to church and we hear these messages and we hear these challenges and we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to be like Jesus. We know we're supposed to be sharing Christ with our neighbors. But many times we don't know how that happens, how that works. What, what, do, we, what, what do we do? What do we say? And, and we're going to give you some of those tools in this series. And we're going to also like just unpack some things and make it so practical and so simple. But I think the first step for many of us is we have to understand, we have to know when, when we've been given that commission, we've been given that charge of, of this is what our mission is as a church. This is what your mission is as a follower of Christ. You are supposed to be Jesus to the people around you. And I, and I want us to take a step back and, and kind of untangle some of those things, untangle some of the web and some of the confusion that we've had. And I want us just to start with a simple thing. If you have your little pen and napkin and card, go ahead and unpack it. Okay, we'll, we'll use, we're going to use the note card. And what I want you to do now at this point, this is going to be our prayer focus. To, to, to really start and, and to, to get on the right page, we have to have a prayer focus. We have to be thinking about those around us who need Christ. The, the, you heard in the video this idea of turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations is what we want to accomplish. We don't want to be weird about sharing Christ with people. It, it doesn't have to be weird. It shouldn't be weird. We don't want you showing up at your neighbor's house like with a Bible and, and being weird. But we want you sitting by the pool with them and saying, oh, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. You know what? Here's some things that I've been through. Here's some things that I've experienced. Here's some things that I, I've learned from my, and, and just make those practical conversations happen. And so to start with that, I want us to be thinking about who it is that we know we're around that needs to have those conversations with us. Who do we know that is far from God? Who do we know that is struggling through life that we want to focus on? And so we want to introduce this idea of these prayer cards. What I'm going to ask you to do is write a name on the card. You can write one name, and, and what we will do over the next several weeks is we're going to display these cards in this room. Um, most likely, we'll put them back there on the, on the pipe and drape in the back, and as we come in, we're going to see them and think about them. So if you need to put just, you know, Jay's friend, that's fine. If you don't want to call them out by name and, and, and them be embarrassed, and potentially they may even be in this room with you. 
but someone that you want to pray for, write their name, write my friend, you know, you can give them a fake name, whatever you need to do, the Lord knows, but we want to write names on those cards. So for the next few minutes while we're walking through this, think about that person. And then when we're done today, we want you to drop that card in the little box at the back. We'll collect them all and then we'll start displaying them. And this is going to be something that we'll do each week as we continue to focus and think through these. Think about someone who needs Christ. Think about somebody, a family member, a friend, and then we will pray for them. We will pray for them. In church, when we walk in, we'll see them and we'll pray for them. Next, I want you to commit to praying for opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. I want you to drop your cards, obviously, in the box when you leave. And then as you leave, as you go throughout your week, I want you to be praying for that person and praying that God will give you opportunities, that God will put you at the pool next to that person, that God will put you on the sidelines watching practice with that person, and that he will give you those opportunities. We have a conversational, relational way to tell others about Christ, and, and that's what we're going to do. And today, we're going to give you this tool, and here's where it starts with. What was the title today? What do we want to learn? Who said God's design? You get bonus points today. God's design. God designed this world. He is the creator of this world. He is the giver of life. As we read in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it tells how our designer, our creator, intended for life to be on this planet. And it's a life that we long for because Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has placed eternity upon the hearts of men and women. There are people that know that this world is broken. It's not the way that God designed it to be. And Scripture talks about how they're yearning. They're looking for that design of how God created this life to be. God has a design for our life, for every life that he has ever created. He has a design. God, we'll see here, first of all, God created us and he loves us he created us and he loves us god designed the world he created everything in the world he created everything as it was meant to be and it said in scripture that it was good god was the took the dust of the ground and he created man and he created woman he is the creator God. He created us, as we looked at last week, for a purpose, to bring God honor and glory through our lives. Did God create roundabouts? He did create roundabouts. What about screwdrivers as hammers? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we also see he created us in his image. We are unique in the fact that God created human beings in the image and likeness of God, which is what makes us so special, which is what makes life so precious, which is why we as Christians, we fight to protect life from the womb to the tomb because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And any attack upon a human is attack upon God because we are created in his image.
in Genesis, God says that it was good. When God made creation, he said it's good. And I know there are many times when we get distracted and we see all the bad. Anybody heard, just anybody hear any bad news yet today? Anybody hear any bad news on the radio, on your social media page? That's awesome. You guys just came straight to church and didn't hear any bad news. I'm so pumped. How many of you guys are pretty sure you'll hear some bad news later today? If you turn on the TV, if you read the little bottom line, you're going to hear something bad. Even if you watch sports, you're going to see somebody had steroids or somebody wrecked a car. Like, bad news is everywhere. And we sometimes tend to think that all that's around us is bad. But when God created things, he said, this is very good. And, and we see when, when, when we work to, together as humanity, when we do what God has called us to do, we do things and we can do things that are great and bring him glory. You guys have seen the little videos of, of the, the group of people that link hands and they go down and they rescue somebody off the ice? You seen those? Or you seen the video of, the, of the, the, the car turned over on the side of the road and these like guys just use this superhuman adrenaline and they flip the car over and save somebody's life? God has, has created us and, and, and put in all of us this, this notion of, of who God is. And, and we have this desire, this longing for God. And we have to accept and understand and come to a place where, where Christ is our only way to have relationship with God. But God says the creation is good. He designed us for a purpose. Number two, God has designed um, every aspect of our lives. And this is something we're going to unpack a little more in the weeks to come. Um, God has designed every single aspect of our lives. When we go to work, God has a design for that. When we get up in the morning, God has a design for that. Our families, God has a design for that. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God says to be fruitful and multiply. That's God's design, that we have families and we multiply. The Bible says that, that children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. How awesome is that? Guys, is that not one of the coolest things the Bible says? That our kids are like arrows, okay? If that doesn't pump you up about raising your kids, then, then like, it should. It's awesome. I mean, I'm thinking, like, Braveheart situation here. The Bible says that our kids are like arrows that we take into battle with us. And, and God gives us those children for a purpose. Our families give us community. They give us accountability. They give us love. The family structure is God's design. It's part of the way God intended things to be. In the home, we should feel that. We should understand and see that modeled for us. We have a saying in our house, and it's called Team Bramer. This is Team Bramer. And if you are a parent, you've, you've probably experienced this. If you're a child, you've probably experienced this. If you're a human, you've probably experienced this at some point. When we come home and we're with our family and our friends and our siblings, sometimes we get a little, um, I don't know, grouchy, mm -hmm. cranky. Mm -hmm. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And... And when we come home from school and our kids kind of start bickering at each other, sometimes I have to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is Team Bramer. When we come into this house, when we come together as a family, we are for each other. We are on the same team. Now, if you guys get picked on outside of school, you jump in and you take care of that problem. But together, we are Team Bramer. And that's some of the things that the family can give us, that, that cohesiveness, that unity, that love and care. We should feel that in our homes. Why? Because that's God's design for our families. So not only is there God designed for our families, but there's God's design for our work life as well. In Genesis, going back to Genesis 1, 28 through 30, it talks about that God put us here to work and subdue the earth. Now you think about it in that time, we think about it in the, the aspect of an agrarian society. You think about planting the seed and the harvest. You know, in that society, if you did not work, 
you did not eat because there was no harvest. So God has a design that we as humans are to be workers. We should be the hardest workers as believers, as Christians, as we talked about last week, because that's God's design, and that brings God honor and glory. So not only is it families and work, but it is our rest life. How many of you guys like to take a Sunday? How many of you guys like to take a Sunday afternoon nap? Anybody? Come on now, be honest. God has given us a design for how we should rest. Busyness and burnout, it's all around us. And you know what? That's not God's plan. Did you know, I just want you guys to realize this with me. Some of you are bosses and you have teams that you lead. Did you know there are literally people at your job who don't take their vacation? Did you know that? There are people who don't take their time off and they let it expire. They lose it at the end of the year. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? There are people who are so committed and so busy, 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 and they think they bought into this idea of what they should be doing that they burn free time off. That's insane. If you're a kid growing up, you're like, I will never do that. That's crazy. Why would you not take a day off? Well, just remember that because when you're an adult, sometimes it may feel different, but God has a design for how we should work, how we should rest. God also has a design for our marriages. There's another principle. We see this in Genesis, and, and, and really, as, as this is being unpacked over the first couple of chapters of Genesis, there are so many nuggets there for how God designed, because God is the creator. So he gives us all these things, and he also, he doesn't leave us high and dry when it comes to our marriages. God has a design for our marriages. Genesis 2.24 leaves us with a great principle. It's called the leave and cleave principle. How many of you guys have ever heard that one? Leave and cleave? Oh, it's a good one. It's a great one to share with the in-laws. Really, really good one. And now I'm just going to say this because this is being recorded and both Robert and I have amazing in-laws. We both love our in-laws very much and we would never have anything negative to say about our in-laws or the family situations that we may possibly have. But if you want to have a good marriage, that leave and cleave principle is paramount. Why? Because God designed you to grow up in the home, to be trained by your family, to be trained and to be shot like an arrow out into the world and then hopefully to find a spouse. And when you find that spouse, God's design for your marriage is to leave your childhood family and start your own new family. That's God's design. You can't have a great marriage if your in-laws are always up in your business. That's, that's, I'm, I'm just leave that right there. Uh, God has a design for our identity as well. You know, in today's world, God talks about identity. He talks about the human race. We are one race, that is the human race. God designed us uniquely in his image, as we just talked about, to bring him honor and glory. We also designed us, he gave us our, our, our uh, sexual identity as well. God created us either male or female. God uniquely wired us with our DNA so that there is, it is undeniable when you look at the DNA of either a male or a female, that God created you specifically that way. And we're going to get into that more in the coming weeks. You know, God designed us for relationships with him. Number three, it says he created us to have unbroken communion with him. We are to be in a constant relationship with God. You know, as you look back to the Garden of Eden, God started out before sin entered the world through Satan and, and Eve and Adam eating the, the fruit, bringing sin into this world, disobeying God. What did God do? It says that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That 
that relationship. God desires that we have a relationship with him. This unbroken communion can only be found through the gospel. So we, we see what God's design is, but we're going to see what happened. What happened to this world? And we, you know, Pastor Jay talked about the bad news. We see that bad news every single day. God has a design for our lives. We, took to, we looked at he has a design for our families, our marriages, our money, our sex life, our work life, just plain life. He has a design for all of it. God designed us to be in relationship with him, but we have departed from that design. And the Bible calls this sin. This is something that every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves in this room, does every single day. We're born with a sinful nature, so sin comes naturally to us. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This sin leads us to our next circle, which is brokenness. It leads us to brokenness. And brokenness is easy for most of us to understand because we see it. We've experienced brokenness in our own lives, in our own families. We see that brokenness. Brokenness is, is, is easy for most of us to understand through broken relationships, through addictions, through depression, discouragement, guilt, shame. We all want out of that brokenness. We hate brokenness. We hate the pain that it causes. We medicate with drugs. We try to numb it with alcohol. We strive to be better people. Somehow, some way, our good will outweigh our bad. We're looking for ways to alleviate that brokenness. And when we do that, it just leads to more brokenness. All of those squiggly lines off, to bro- off of brokenness it pulls our attention away from God's design. Those squiggly lines are our attempt outside of God to heal our brokenness. And it never works. It never does. It just leads to more brokenness. When we feel broken on the inside and everything is all messed up, we know we need change. We know something needs to be different in our lives. And we're looking for everything else that the world tells us, which are all of those squiggly lines, and all it does is lead to more brokenness. But the Bible has a word that leads us out of brokenness, and that word is repent. Brokenness is what gets us ready to try God's solution. Maybe some of you in here are at a point in your life where you said, I am so at my wit's end. I am so down and out, that I will try anything. And God brought you to the point of repentance. Repent and believe the gospel, the change we really need, the change that we're we're searching for only comes through Christ. God sent Jesus to live the perfect life, to die the death for our sins that we should have died, but he did it in our place, and he rose from the grave proving that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he will do by proving he conquered death and hell. So Jesus came to forgive our sins when we repent 
and pursue God's design. So we see, we receive, or recover, and we pursue God's design. Then Jesus sends us right back into the broken world to tell others how they can receive healing from their brokenness. And that is the three circles. When we repent and believe, he gives us the spirit working within us to be able to pursue God's design. So we're going to go through it again because we want you all to understand. You're going to see us week after week through different situations, walking through life in the three circles of of God's design, his brokenness, and the gospel. All right, does everybody see it? Are you ready? So here's what I want you to do with your napkin. We are going to practice this. And one of the neat things I've been telling you, we're going to make this really practical. We want this to be something that you can do, that you can share, that you can show somebody. So when you have the opportunity to take an everyday conversation and turn it into a gospel conversation, how you can outline what God has done for you. So if you have your napkin and your pen, here's what we want you to do. This little illustration is the whole gospel. This is it. God's design, our sin, our brokenness, our repentance and belief in him, the death, burial, and the resurrection, giving us the ability to get back in God's design where we're supposed to be. It's that simple. Isn't that cool? So what we're going to do is give you that tool. This is something that can be drawn on the back of a napkin. So if you have used your napkin already and there may be a little coffee or, you know, whatever else on it, that's okay. I want you to take your napkin and grab your pen and draw this with me. Can you guys do that? A little art class. So I'm going to ask you this. What's the first circle? All right. Did you guys cheat? Okay. First circle is God's design. Very good. You guys draw this with me. Okay, and then what takes us away from God's design? Sin. Okay, and where do we end up when we sin? Brokenness. All right, and what do we try to do to get rid of our brokenness? Yep, we squiggly line, that's right. We squiggly line to try to get rid of our brokenness. And those lines, Pastor Robert mentioned it, those lines are our activities, those lines are alcohol, those lines are people and places and things, all the ways we try to get rid of brokenness. But then what do we have to do? Repent. And what? What do we repent and believe? The gospel, that's right. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Then because of the gospel, we have the ability to do what? Yep, recover and pursue. Recover and pursue God's design. What do you think? I don't know about you, but I have been, I grew up in church, and I have seen things like this my entire, not things like this, but I have heard messages like this and this challenge to share the gospel so, so many times, but it's never been so simple. I'm a visual learner. 
This is so very simple that you can draw it on a napkin. And don't get me wrong, we're going to practice this. This isn't the first time you'll see it, and this is the first time that you'll practice drawing on your napkin. You're going to hear us talking about, as a church, three circles, three circles. You're going to hear me talk about it in future ser sermon series. This is three circles. Because when we pursue God's design, uh, you know, the cool thing about it, let me say this. You know, we're getting ready to have a baptism after this. And the neat thing about a baptism service is it was people who recognized their brokenness and chose to repent and believe the gospel. And now they're finding their identity not in the race, not in their sexual identity, not any of those things. We find our identity in one thing as Christians, and that is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That is the only identity that we should claim is that we are a follower of Jesus Christ and we believe the gospel. So where do you see yourself in this diagram? Where are you at this point in your life? If there's any brokenness in your life, I would encourage you. Let's seek repentance and believe the gospel. Where is it in your life that you're hurting, that there is pain, that you need to seek repentance. You know, for those who believe, what would prevent you from saying, you know what? I've accepted Christ. I know I'm a believer. And I know I need to take that next step. We're going to start looking at what is this three circles and how can we apply it to every aspect of our life. So maybe there's someone here today as we finish up and says, you know what, I've never heard the gospel explained this way. I have never made that decision to trust and follow Christ. I understand God's design. I understand that I'm broken. I'm a broken person. And I've explored almost all of the squiggly lines you can put on the circle. That's been my life for years. And it's just led to more and more and more brokenness. And I need Jesus. If that is you, I want to tell you how you can believe the gospel and receive healing and hope that only the gospel provides. Let's pray.